mindful this morning, though, friend, that there may be one here. They've never experienced that. They've never really repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. And in our neighborhoods, people we work with, people we're around every day, uh, in stores coming and going, they don't know about that goodness because they're without Christ. And so I thank God for what I've personally experienced. I pray that God will move us in these days to share with others how they can experience that too. Amen? Please take your Bibles, turn to the book of John, John chapter 3. This morning as we continue our studies on Sunday morning, John chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse number 22. And church family, you're finding John chapter 3, begin to read in verse 22. And this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, another glimpse of greatness. Another glimpse of greatness. John chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse 22. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in John chapter 3, beginning to read in verse number 22. The Bible says these words, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. For they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. God, I pray you'll open our hearts to receive the truths that are in this text this morning. God, I do pray if there's one here who's never experienced your grace and your mercy, they've never chosen to repent and turn from their sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of their life, God, I pray they'll do that today. And God, I pray as we look in this text and we see one that you said was the greatest preacher that ever lived, God, I pray that we'll see the marks in his life and how you work through him to accomplish great and mighty things. And God, I pray you'll challenge us today whether those same marks are in our lives and whether we're so yielded in these days that you can work through us and have the same effect on this generation in which you've placed us to be salt and light and to live on mission. Bless this time. Call us into your will. That which you desire to accomplish today, I pray it'll be done because we yield ourselves to your will and to your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. In John chapter 1, um, we're introduced, as far as our study of the book of John, uh, to, to John the Baptist. Uh, Luke gives uh, so much more colored detail uh, as to, to John's life, just in review a little bit. In Luke chapter 1, remember that in verse number 5, uh, there were dark days. It had been over 400 years uh, since the conclusion of the book of Malachi. Over 400 years, God had not spoken one 
prophetic word to the nation of Israel. And a lot of change had taken place in Israel during this time. But there was still, be encouraged in this this morning, church family, in the midst of so much rebellion and in the midst of so much lostness, there was still a righteous remnant that loved the Lord. There was a righteous remnant uh, that was still desiring to serve faithfully. There were still families, even though everyone around them was living more like the world than the, the people, the kingdom of priests that God had called them to be. Their lives were more shaped by culture and popularity than the Word of God. There were still those who desired to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbor as themselves. And, and Zacharias and Elizabeth were two of those people. These were John the Baptist's parents. And Zacharias was just serving faithfully in the temple. It was his time uh, to place incense there. And at that time, an angel appeared and said, Look, though you are well stricken in years, and that's just the Bible's way of saying things that once took place in their marriage didn't take place anymore because they were so old, uh, God says, I'm going to touch your bodies. And you're going to have a child. And his name's going to be John. And he's going to be a forerunner. He's going to come before the Messiah. And he's going to have one message to preach. And it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's going to bring much joy. And there's going to be great happiness at his coming. He's going to be separated unto the Lord. He'll have the Nazarite vow. And that meant something to Zacharias. But he's going to be separated especially to the Lord. And that was John the Baptist. Well, Zacharias, he, he, he believed that John could come and he believed that he would come and that he believed also that Jesus was going to come. But he also knew how old he was. And so God saw his heart and saw his lack of faith. And because of that, for the whole nine months that Elizabeth was pregnant with John, he didn't say one word. Those were probably some of the happiest days Elizabeth ever had. Her husband didn't speak for nine whole months. But on the day that he was born... God had told him what he was going to be named. And everybody was going through the little book. And I'm sure like most are like, well, you know, what's most popular right now? And they were trying to find what trendy names uh, to go through and then how to change them and what nicknames they could give off of that. And immediately the Holy Spirit loosed his tongue and he says, we're going to call him what God said to call him and we're going to call him John. And he began to prophesy and began to say many things that John would do and that Christ would was going to do. But he said some things about his son as he held the baby. Verse number 76 of Luke chapter 1 says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. And that's exactly what John did. Before Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist came and preached the same singular message day in, Day out, week in, week out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Every time you went to hear him, that's exactly what he did. And Jesus said of him in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 28, after he had been killed, he said, For I say unto you, now listen, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus said he was great. And so John gives us, the author, not John the Baptist, but John the Beloved, he gives us just one more look at the life of John the Baptist, who is one of my heroes. He gives us just one more look at his ministry, and we get to see just another glimpse of the greatness that was his walk for Jesus Christ. I want you to notice four things about these, these glimpses of greatness that we look at in this morning. First off, I want you to notice his commitment. His, his commitment to the Lord. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 22. After these things, 
Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptized in Anon near Selene because there was much water there. That's a wise man. Part of his ministry was baptizing, and so he made sure there was a place where there was much water. And they came there, and they were baptized. So people were still coming to him. Now, Jesus has begun his ministry, but John still performing his ministry. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 24. Uh, John gives us this glimpse of something that happened in John the Baptist's life later. And John had not yet been thrown into prison. Well, something had happened prior in John's life that's going to cause him to be placed into prison. Well, what is it? Well, Matthew chapter 14 uh, gives us some, some detail uh, about the things that had happened when John but was beheaded. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 1 of John chapter 14, at the time, Herod Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, uh, this must be John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead because of all the things that Jesus was doing. Now listen to what verse 3 says. For Herod had laid hold of John the Baptist and had bound him and had put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And it wasn't. The Bible had clearly said in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse number 16, and in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 21, that a man was not to marry. Now, these are my words. You can go look at the exact text, but it's the same wording for our crowd this morning. A man was not to marry and to have normal marital relations with his brother's widow. The Bible forbade that. There was no asterisks. There was no C. There was no, well, if you feel that's not fair, which I hear so much in ministry today, you know, well, that's just not fair. It doesn't matter. God said, you're not to marry your brother's widow. And so that had happened. He was a leader. And so John the Baptist had the opportunity, and he told him, he says, what you're doing is contrary to the Word of God. Well, his wife, she didn't really, she didn't really like that. And so now John the Baptist... He's suffering persecution. Now listen to me. He's been placed in jail for doing one thing, to being committed to Almighty God. He shared the truth of God's Word because he was committed to the Lord. Friend, I promise you, when you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you care not about the consequence, you only care about being faithful to the commitment you've made to serve God all the days of your life. I want you to listen to me. You're going to suffer hardship and challenges. Friend, if the devil's never given you any difficulty in your life, this is the reason why. You're going in the same direction he's going. But when you walk with God, you're going to walk contrary to the way of the world. And I'm telling you, friend, you're going to face challenges and hardship. There's going to be adversity that you're going to face. The, the Lord told us that that would be the case. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, the Bible says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, not if. Now, he's, he's just shared the Beatitudes. He's, he's shared the marks of a life that is surrendered to Christ and His Lordship alone. And he says, you know, if this, if, this, if this describes you by default of fruit, not spiritual fruit, but just fruit worthy of repentance, if this describes your life, all of these blessings, blissful, bless, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are, if this describes you, he says, and you're all in, because you are all in, and because you're living out that commitment, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. Who's that? Everybody that doesn't think that way. He says that's everybody. Some may say it. So, some will say it. 
but, but they're all going to be against you. Blessed are they when they revile and persecute you and say all evil kinds of things against you falsely. Listen to what Jesus says in verse number 11, Matthew chapter 5. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says it's not anything new. Jesus says everybody who's ever been used of God and stood for God was hated by the world. Friend, I want you to listen to me this morning. If lost people love your life, there's something wrong with your life. People say all the time, you know, I've, I've got lots of lost friends and we just get along so wonderfully. You, you need to try to get along with people and you need to try to lead those people to Christ. But friend, if they feel comfortable around your commitment to Christ, something's wrong with your definition of commitment to Christ. Because when you're all in, friend, listen, oil and water can't live together, friend, and flesh and spirit are always going to be contrary to one another. And so Jesus says, when you're committed to me and you stand for me and you speak for me, don't be surprised when the world doesn't like that. And now John's in prison because of it. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. What the devil wants you to have to have happen is this. For you just let the wheels fall off your wagon, and then here it is, you're, you've never heard me say this before, but to go buy your church hurt t-shirt... You know, because there's no hurt like church hurt, right? Heard that before. And then just to quit. I've talked to so many people, friend in ministry, that I've seen in the, the magical book, you know, the church directory of yesteryear. And you ask, where is that person? Well, they got hurt. Well, they got, where's this person? Well, they got hurt. Where are they going now? They don't go anywhere. They go to Bedside Baptist every Sunday morning. That's where they go. Why they go there? Because they got hurt. Hurt. Friend, listen, if you're committed to Christ and you live for Christ, the world's going to be against you. They're going to be against you. But if it's all about you, then you're going to get hurt. I'm not saying, friend, it's wrong that you get your feelings hurt. I'm saying, friend, that's no excuse to quit serving Jesus Christ. That's no excuse. And so, listen, if, if, you just, if you just hold on to that, then it was never about Christ. It was all about you. It's all about you. Everybody, I'm telling you, every single person that once served Christ, but they no longer serve Christ anymore because they got hurt at church, it was never about Jesus. It was always about them. Because when you're committed to the Lord, nothing is going to stop you. Listen to me. I've eaten at restaurants before, you know, where I had bad service. That didn't keep me from going to another restaurant. I just didn't go back to that one. And so there may be a church that rubs you the wrong way, but it's not going to keep you from finding a local church to serve God in and to use your spiritual gift. So John, he was committed. Even when they threw him into jail, he was, he, was, he was committed. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus had great words to say. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. He says, the world, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love its own. Right there it is. I'm telling you, my friend, if lost people, all your lost friends think you're just the greatest, most fun to hang out with, it's because you act just like they do. And I listen, the Bible doesn't condone Ernest T. Bass evangelism. That is, you know, you're, you're just throwing rocks through windows all the time trying to reach people. That's not how we're to reach a lost and dying world. 
It's not about standing on the corner and screaming at cars, yelling everybody, at everybody. That's not what it's about. But I'm telling you, friend, when you let your light shine for Christ, it will offend darkness. The cross is an offense. It's an offense. And if your life of righteousness, my friend, is not defending the darkness in others, it's because you're dark. That's what Jesus says. If you were of the world, then the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So John was hated because he stood and he told the truth. I want you to listen to me. Church folk who are not wholly committed to Christ love and celebrate every part of God's Word that doesn't condemn the parts of their life that isn't surrendered to the Lord. I want to read that again to you. Church folk who are not wholly committed to Christ love and celebrate every part of God's Word that doesn't condemn the parts of their life that isn't surrendered to the Lord. And that was Herodias. And she was, she, she was all about the law. She was all about that God's chosen people. She was all about that Messiah was coming. But now, she didn't like that little part in Leviticus that said she couldn't be married to Herod. She loved all the other parts, but she didn't love the parts that offended her life. And it's no different in the world today. Some folks will get torn all out of the frame about something in church and mad and upset because of something that's preached or taught. And friend, I want to remind you, I didn't write this book. God did. And the pastor's responsibility, friend, is this. He doesn't cook the meal. God does. It's just up to me to serve it as hot as I possibly can. God always cooks the meal. It's His Word. And so the offense really wasn't with John. It was with God. So Herodias hated the message, but she also hated the messenger. That was the tangible one that they could get. They couldn't get to God, so they laid their hands on poor old John. But listen to me. John gave no thought about the consequences. You want to know why? He was God's man. And my friend, that's what we need in this day is more men and women who were wholly committed to Almighty God. They don't worry about the consequences. Who's going to get their feelings hurt? Who's not going to like, whether somebody's going to talk to me again? We hope that's not the case. We want everybody to be saved and get in line. But we love God first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was John. He was committed. God did great things through John's life because there was no part of John that was off limits to God. Did you hear that this morning? God did great things through John's life because there was not one single part of John's life that was off limits to God. God was Lord over all of it. He was, he was committed. That bears out the question to ask this morning. You know, am I committed like that? Am I committed? Am I willing to stand and just speak God's word lovingly, but yet truthfully, and let the chips fall where they will? He was, he was committed. Something else we ought to see this morning, this glimpse of greatness, was his calling. Not only his commitment, but his calling. Look, look what the Bible says again in John chapter 3 and verse number 23. Now John was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came... And they were baptized. I mean, it, it seems simple, but you can't look past it, friend. John was daily and actively doing what God had called him to do. He just didn't sing songs about preaching, you know, and you know, pointing to Jesus. You know, John, John had a three, three-part message. Preaching, pointing, plunging. That's what he did. He preached Jesus. 
he pointed to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and he plunged people toward... Now listen, this baptism wasn't the baptism after Pentecost. We're baptized in the light and scripture. We're, we're baptized in his, his death and his resurrection, raised to newness and life. This was just symbolic of repentance. But that was what part of the, the mission that God gave him. But notice this. He didn't just talk about it, sing about it, say, I know I need to do it. He did it. What made a difference in other people's lives was his faithfulness. He, he, he knew what God had called him to do. And don't miss this. He did it. That's, that's what made the difference in, in people's lives. Serving God was not part of his life. Listen to me. It was his life. You hear people talk about, you, know, you, you read obituaries, you know. You'll hear people, you know, that hadn't darkened the door of a church since the last funeral or wedding that they went to. And you'll say, you know, they were of the Baptist faith. You know, or, or just to me like, you know, church was so important to this person. Church was so important. Friend, I want to tell you something. Church isn't important to me. Jesus is important to me. And because Jesus is important to me, church is going to be a part of my life. You see the difference? That's one that, listen, that's the good Baptist. The reason Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that many church members in that day will stand at the great white throne is because they were, they were good at churchianity, but they had never been born again into New Testament Christianity. Do you see that this morning? And so, John, friend, it, listen, there was no part of his life that was off limits. Serving God wasn't just something that was a part of his life. It was an addition. You know, if John would have had a social media page, he just wouldn't have had it on there, you know, you know, all these things that, you know, loves to cook, you know, locusts and honey. That's his favorite dish. You know, camel hair, maniac, love camel hair. Got all these things, and then down here, and you know, and also, no, one thing, follower of Jesus Christ. Everything else didn't matter. He knew what God had called him to do, and so serving was not just part of his life. Serving was his life. And every other thing, friend, attached to his life was supported by his service to the Lord. Your people again describe themselves. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a retiree from this place a golfer, fisher, farmer, name all these things, and follower of Jesus Christ. No, friend, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and then your faith in Christ and Christ living through you helps you to be successful in all those other things. Do you see the difference? It's not that serving Christ is an addition to your life. Serving Christ is your life. Did I get any more on that one? Do you see the difference? You better see the difference, friend, or you're just going to be one of these individuals that you've never used by God to your fullest potential. Because Jesus is just an addition to your life rather than the substance of your life. Christ was the substance of John's life. Matthew chapter 3 details just an ordinary day in John's life. I, I, I wrote a paper about this one time when I was a student in seminary. I love John chapter 3. It was just a day in his life. Verse number 2, he's there ministering in the wilderness. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And friend, that's the message we need to have in these days. We need to be telling a lost and dying world they need to repent because Jesus is coming soon. That's what John was doing. He's saying, repent. Jesus is coming soon. He's already, he's about to step on the scene. You better, you need to get your heart ready, your life. God had called John to get the train moving down the tracks in the right direction, so when Jesus comes in, he could take off and change gears. And that's what God calls us to, to get a people 
ready to meet the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. His voice crying in the wilderness. Talks about the simplicity of his life, the humility of his life. Many people were being saved. All the lost religious crowd, oh, John knew how to talk to him. He was so welcoming. Verse number 7, he says, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, he just told it the way it was. Verse number 8, he says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Because listen, everybody had their repentance t-shirt on. It was the catch word. It was the first hashtag there ever was. Hashtag repentance. Everybody was repenting. Repent, repent. John, oh yeah, got their JB t-shirt on. John the Baptist. Things great. And John says, listen, it's not a matter, it's not the words coming out of your mouth. Does your life bear witness that repentance has really taken place? He says, bear, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And so he just continued to speak truth. He even told me, he says, all of you religious people, verse number 10, that haven't bared any fruit, God's going to lay an axe to the root of the tree and is going to cast out every tree that doesn't bear good fruit. And he says, and one day Jesus is going to come, verse 12, and his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather up wheat into the barn. That's everybody that's saved. But all the lost church members that tried to act like they were saved had Jesus fish on the back of their cars, carried their Bibles, knew all the words to all the songs, could cry and raise their hands at the right time, but they never repented and they were never saved. He will burn up the chaff in an unquenchable fire, and that's in hell. That was just a normal day in John's ministry. That's what God called him to do. Did everybody want to hear that? No, but that's what God called him to do. And he did it. And friend, I'm telling you, the lost world doesn't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear it. 1 Corinthians 1 says it's foolishness to them. Absolute foolishness. It's where The Greek word is where we get our English word moronic. It's absolutely moronic to the intellectual lost mind that anything could be accomplished by a Jewish carpenter hanging on a cross. But Paul goes on to say, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God and the salvation. And so God, God calls us, friend, to do that, to share a message that a lost and dying world does not want to hear, but they've got to hear because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. You're going to minister to people in church sometimes that don't want to hear what you have to say. But God calls us to do that. You've got family members that don't want to hear what God has to say. But God has placed you in that family for such a time just as that for you to faithfully confront people who are heading headlong towards the devil's hell with the truth of God's Word that can tell them how to be saved. It's not always popular. But that's the calling that God places on our life. His was preaching, pointing, and plunging. Central to his faithfulness was knowing the source of the calling. Do you understand that? One of the things that moved John forward in faithfulness, friend, was the source of his calling. Look at verse number 27. John answered, and we're going to begin to look in just a minute more deeply at this, but some of the people began to share. His disciples say, hey, our crowd's getting smaller, and Jesus' is getting bigger. But now listen to what John says. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. What's he saying? God called me to this ministry. And John says, for me, part of my ministry is that one day my crowd would get smaller and Jesus' crowd would get bigger. And friend, one of the things that will keep you moving forward every single day in Great Commission faithfulness is knowing that God calls us to serve Him. The context changes of which we serve 
But the calling is still the same. The principle stands. Well, what's God called us to do? Well, one, he's called you to live on mission. If you've been saved, every single person in here is to live on mission. You may not go to China, to the Chinese people. You may not go to the Korean people in Korea. You may not go to the Japanese people. You may not go uh, to, to people that speak Portuguese in Brazil. But you live here. God has called you to be a missionary here in East Tennessee where you live. This is your mission field. He's called all of us to do that. He, he's called us to that. He's called you to serve in the great commission ministries of the local church. And he's given you a spiritual gift to do it. You say, well, I just don't know exactly where to serve. Friend, I'll tell you one place that every single person in our church can serve. Every adult, every person that's over 18 years of old, that's a member of this church family, you can be a listener in our Awana ministry, which began last Wednesday. Every Wednesday night, starting at 6.30, you can go in and sit down with a child who has a book full of Bible verses. And you can sit down and just listen to them, repeat those verses, help them to memorize them, and then just talk to them about what it means and encourage them. Help them make some application to their little, their little heart where, they fit, where it fits in their life right now. Everybody, I don't, listen, I don't care if you can't stand long, you can only sit. If you came to church this morning, you had the health and the ability to walk in the back door of that church and sit down and you're still breathing right now, and some of you are questionable. But if you're still breathing right now, you can be a listener and a want to say amen right there. You may not choose to respond to it, but you can do it. Everybody can say, well, there's just no place for me to serve. You can serve in the Awana ministry as a listener every single week. You can do it. There's prayer ministries. Listen, a lot of times the reason there aren't more ministries in the church is because there aren't people that are willing to serve in them. What other ministries could our church have for the furtherance of the gospel, but there aren't people willing to serve in it? They've never prayed and said, you know, God, you called John to this ministry. What are you calling me to do? What have you called me to do? John was faithful because he understood where the calling came from. Listen, and he would be accountable to God for that calling. His calling kept him moving forward. In the midst of change and uncertainty, what keeps us moving forward is our knowledge and our surrender to the calling of God. It's not a matter of how I feel. It's a matter of faithfulness to what God has called us to do. Number three, notice his celebration. His celebration. Now, verse number 22 says that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. John chapter 4 and verse number 2 says Jesus isn't doing the plunging. He baptized no one. His disciples are doing this. But it's the same ministry and the same message that's being shared. But verse number 26, don't miss this. There seems to be a little jealousy. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you. You may not realize this. Listen, but sometimes people get jealous of each other in a local church. Maybe hard to take a deep breath. You may realize it, it, it happens. It happens. I'm sure it's never happened at Greenwood. But it happens. And so here's some people who are getting jealous because Jesus' crowd is growing, but John's crowd is getting smaller. You know, it'd be like a Sunday school teacher who somebody feels more led to go to another class, there, and they just get their nose out of joint because somebody leaves their class to go somewhere else. Well, for as long as they're staying in Sunday school class, who cares where they go? Why would you take that personal? You know, someone's like, well, you know, they... Somebody sang my song. Friend, listen, nobody owns a song in this church. It's the songs about God. It's not about you. 
How many church ever said, they sing my song? Get over yourself and sing to the glory of God. It's not to the glory of you, it's to the glory of God. Well, they clap louder for that person than they clap for me. Well, they, they shouldn't have been clapping for that person. They should have been clapping for God. And people harbor all that resentment and jealousy. Jealousy debilitates a church. And what it shows is that it's all about you and it's not about God. And if you've ever had your nose out of joint, you know, because not enough light was shined on you, friend, the light's not supposed to be on me and the light's not supposed to be on you. The light's supposed to be on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not the hand that's saying, Behold the Lamb. And so if you're harboring that this morning, what a great Sunday school lesson we had this morning. You know, forgive if somebody offended you, you know, because get over it. You know, just get over it and let it go. I'm telling you, jealousy in ministry has no place. Because it's all about people coming to Christ and the kingdom growing. Look, it's so encouraging what John says in verse number 29. He likens it to the truth that Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. John says, I'm just the best man. He said, I'm just here to make sure that the bride's okay and that, you know, for, for John speaking, you know, that the bride is growing, more people are being added to the church. He says, I just can't wait to hear the groom. Now, listen, weddings were different then. Today, it's all about the bride. Biblically, it's all about the groom. It's about Jesus. The bride's there. The groom would be somewhere else. He's the one that walked down the aisle. He's the one that made the grand entrance. And friend, I'm telling you, one of these days, the groom's going to split glory open, and here comes the bride. Jesus is coming for the groom. Here comes Jesus for the bride. That's the rapture. And so listen to what John says in verse number 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, is waiting for him, rejoices greatly. What's he to say? Hey, look, it's, it's the groom. The groom's coming. He begins to rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He said, if Jesus' team is growing, he says, I'm happy. He says, I rejoice. I've got joy. Now, all of his disciples were upset. That's because they were following, still following John and not following Jesus. Don't miss this. If they were really rightly related to the Lord, they wouldn't be disciples of John anymore. They'd be followers of Christ. And so, see, they weren't on the right team yet. The best man guards the, the bride. John was to build the bride and wait on Jesus the groom. How could he be jealous about people turning to Christ? Now, I'll submit to you, pastors are some of the worst at this. Absolute worst. Another church that's biblical and true to the Word of God will begin to grow. Well, there's pastors. They'll just get so jealous of that. Friend, listen, it's not about any local church. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. Jealousy has no place in our lives. Personal jealousy has no place. It wasn't personal for John, and I like that. So many of the problems that we have in the church are because it's personal. Now, if someone hurts you personally, you need to try to deal with that. Matthew 18 tells you how, and you know you need to forgive that person, even if they don't want to be forgiven. You need to forgive them. But, but, but harboring these kinds of feelings only hurts the church. It doesn't help. John was going to end up being in prison, listen, but he wasn't going to be in a prison of his mind because he was mad that his crowd was getting smaller. And so many people are held prisoner because they've been offended 
and they've been hurt. And most of the time, it's because of jealousy and because of pride. Because of pride. That wasn't the case for John. He was so surrendered to Christ. He celebrated that Jesus Christ and his kingdom was growing. Fourth, I want you to notice this. Not only his celebration, but his creed. I love this, verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Well, what, what, that's something to have on your tombstone. That's something to be said about you when you die. Boy, this, this brother, this sister, they modeled this. This was, this was John's creed. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. In response to his crowd getting smaller, the only words that he had were, man, he must increase, I must decrease. But he lived by those words. He lived by them every day. His, his commitment, his focus on his calling, his celebration, all of the prior three things, friend, were bolstered and were shaped and supported by this creed. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. They were all celebrated. It was his singular desire that only Christ would be seen. Everything in his life came under that creed. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That described his life. Now it comes to this right here. Listen to me. Does that describe my life this morning? Does that describe your life? Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That means Jesus must have everything. And what I want and what I desire, it doesn't matter. Christ's will will be done at all times in my life. No exceptions. No exceptions. Christ must increase as King of kings and Lord of lords. Not over everybody else, but over me. He must increase. I must decrease. That was his great desire. And friend, if it would be true, that there can be no part of your life that Jesus isn't king over. No part. No exceptions. If that would be true of your life, he must be king over everything. Listen now. Jesus said of John the Baptist, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he continues, listen. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What did Jesus say? There's never been a greater prophet, never been a greater preacher than John the Baptist. But he who is the most humble and the most surrendered and the most committed to me is greater than John the Baptist. Now, how about that? That's what Jesus said. And the question to ask with that is this. Could Je- not, not would Jesus, but could Jesus say that about me? Could Jesus say that about you today? I mean, does that, would that describe, you know, if, if somebody walked up and says, you know, what do you know about old John, John Doe? What do you know about Jane Doe? Well, Jesus said about John the Baptist, there's never been a greater prophet than, than him. What would, how would Jesus describe us as his disciples today? Would it be and, and, and he did this, and he does this, or it would be, well, he does this, but he does this also. But she also does this possible that it could be that truth in our life. It's possible that there could be that kind of surrender. Friend, I pray and I hope it's your prayer today that our lives will be marked just like John's were, not for our glory, but for Christ's glory. And so that in these days in which we live, God might work through our life in this lost and dying generation to win people to himself, just like he worked through John the Baptist in those days. 
Now let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's moving around. You might pack up, but don't pack up mentally. I want to ask you a question. Listen to me. Everybody listen to me. Can you identify a day in your life where you repented of your sin and you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? Can you also identify when after you got saved, you followed the Lord in believers' baptism? You joined a local body of believers, a local church, and you began to serve the Lord in that local body. And your life is marked today by commitment and surrender to Christ's lordship. It's demonstrated that, in that you read your Bible every day. You're spending time in prayer. You're seeking to live on mission every single day to advance the kingdom of God. You know, you know your spiritual gift and you're using it in your local church. Now, no one's going to raise their hand, but inside yourself... If that describes you, could you raise your hand to that this morning? Could you do it? Well, friend, if you couldn't, I want to help you with that. If you've never been saved, Christ died for you. He loves you. He rose from the grave. And He's in heaven. He wants to accept you now as you turn from sin and believe on Him to be Lord of your life. But you must choose to turn and receive Him. If you've, if you've never done that before, do it right now. I want to pray with you, and you, you pray just like this, but it's got to reflect the desire of your heart. Would you not pray like this silently where you sit? God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. As I turn from sin, I surrender my life to Christ's lordship. Jesus, be Lord over me. You said you would save me. I want you to save me. I surrender my life to your lordship. Now make me into the man or woman now that you want me to be. That's my prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, you ask Christ.